Are you a mom launching kids into adulthood? If so, you need to know about my Empty Nest Mom Retreat. It is the gathering for moms who have at least one child over the age of 18 or who have launched them all and have a full empty nest. September 27th through the 29th are the dates, and Cedar Lake Retreat Center in Cedar Lake, Indiana is the place. You can fly into Chicago airports and drive to Cedar Lake in a little over an hour. Come join me. Best value registration is available through May 27th, and space is limited to just 100 moms, so don't delay. Check out jillsavage.org slash retreat to register today. And so surrender is what happens when you stop trying to control and you move from controlling to actually yielding, following instead of forcing. You're listening to the No More Perfect Podcast, where we talk about strengthening the relationships that mean the most to you. I'm Jill Savage, and I live in normal Illinois. I'm committed to talking honestly about the messy, less than perfect, but normal stuff of life. I'm so glad you've joined me. Well, hello, friends, and welcome back to the No More Perfect Podcast. So today... You get to hear a unique message that Mark and I had the privilege of delivering at the church next door in Columbus, Ohio. You know, Mark and I have the opportunity to speak together, primarily speaking on marriage topics. Uh, we do our No More Perfect Marriages retreat at different churches all over the United States, actually. And in Europe, we had the opportunity several years ago to uh, teach that seminar in both Vienna, Austria, and Budapest, Hungary. But um, rarely do we get the opportunity to preach a Sunday morning message together. And so uh, today's episode is a Sunday morning message that Mark and I uh, just really felt led to share at the church next door in Columbus, Ohio, and it's called Where's Jesus in Your Car? And it really looks at uh, Jesus's leadership in our life. So I hope you enjoy this episode and this message of Where's Jesus in Your Car? So I didn't grow up in church. I didn't know Christ. I was an incredibly worldly kid. And then my mom invited me, and if you knew my mom, she didn't just invite you, she told you you were doing this, that I went to, uh, I was invited to a Billy Graham crusade, and it was there in Indianapolis that I accepted Christ. And then I went on uh, to marry Jill, and we pastored uh, for 20 years in a church, but I was incredibly performance-based. I was driven by lies that... Uh, I'm not enough, I'll never be enough, uh, I'm not lovable, all of those lies that led to unrealistic expectations of God, of the church, of Jill. Of course, I was fine because I was, I was okay on this side of the expectations. But uh, we now refer to that time in my life as a dark season 
I was worn out with life. I was disillusioned with God, with life, with marriage. I went on to have an affair, and uh, I left Jill and the kids, and I was headed on to this new life uh, of excitement and newness, and it was going to be rosy until it wasn't, because I took somebody else with me on that trip, and that was me, and I was a mess. I was a huge mess. And then it was Easter Sunday, 2012, that I had my own personal resurrection. And for the first time, I really moved from having a Savior to Jesus Christ being the God of my life. You see, when I accepted Christ, I, I was desperate for a Savior. I needed to get off the streets. I needed to get my life turned around, but I didn't understand what it meant for my life to be completely surrendered to Jesus Christ. I had the opportunity to have a front row seat at that surrender experience that Mark had. Um, It was that Easter Sunday morning. It had been a long, dark year since the affair had begun, and we had been separated at that point for several months. Uh, We had a brand new uh, grandbaby uh, that was born in the Chicago area, which is about two hours from our home. I had traveled up there by train to be there for the birth, and then Mark brought our two teenage sons that were still at home up to meet the baby um, that particular weekend. And so the four of us drove back home together. We got home at 2 a.m. It was, it was, Mark was extremely tired. Um, I was hesitant for him to drive the remainder of the way home for his apartment Um, to his apartment. And so I said to him, would you just like, would it be best for you to stay the night? And he did. So we woke up on Easter Sunday and our two teenage boys, both were serving at church, one on the worship team, one did sound for the church. And so they got up and got themselves to church and it left Mark and I home alone. And he came and found me that morning and said, I want you to know that I'm filing for divorce this week. It uh, I, I am not, um, in fact, he, he had a, a piece of paper and he had a line drawn down the middle and he said, so this is our world, this is my yard, this is your yard, and this is the fence. And we've been meeting at the fence, but I don't want to meet at the fence anymore. So I'm filing for divorce this week. So I think Jill thought I was schizophrenic that day, uh, but I had a list of indictments against Jill, against the church. And against God, I was so ticked at him because he wasn't operating the way that I thought that he should. And so I, I told Jill that there was just no way that I could see that we could overcome the challenges that I had listed, the indictments I had listed against us. Right. And so in that moment, I didn't know what to say. I mean, I just was like, Lord, I, I have no words what, what do I do with this moment? And the only thing that came to my mind was, you know, Mark, Jesus didn't want to go to the cross. He said, Lord, take this cup from me. And then he said, but not my will, but yours be done. And it was at that moment that God opened my eyes and my ears and I heard what she was saying Uh, Now, I'll admit that I was struggling. I was struggling with all of my decisions. And part of my reason in pursuing a divorce was I'm like, I'm on this path. I might as well walk it out and get over it. But it was in that moment that 
that I think Jill, I don't know, you might have thought I was nuts because I looked at her and I was like, oh my gosh, is this Easter? I, I had no clue. This is totally honest. I was such a mess. I had no clue. And then I, I said to her, I'm going to pray that same prayer. And I didn't say, Lord, take this uh, marriage from me. But I said, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. And, and then I looked at Jill and I was like, can, can we go to church? I hadn't been to church in a while because I was so frustrated with it. Yeah. And I watched a physical change come over him in that moment where he just sat with the mess that was in front of him and said, Lord, I have made a mess of things, but I don't want it to be about my will anymore. I want it to be about yours. And I saw a physical change as he surrendered, as he moved out of the driver's seat of his life into the passenger seat. I saw that change in him. And when he looked up and he said, could we go to church? My answer was absolutely. And we headed off to church that morning. You could have probably picked our son's uh, jaws off the, up off the ground when they mm-hmm. saw us walk into church together because they did not expect their father to be coming to church that day. It was after that hard season and then that U-turn that Mark made that we started kind of using the language of, where's Jesus in your car? Where's Jesus in your car? Is, is he in the trunk He's there for emergencies. With the spare tire, the tire jack, the battery cables, you know, just in case we need him. Yeah. Or is he in the back seat? Is he in the back seat? You know, he's referred to on occasion. You have occasional conversations with him. Um, You know, you're aware of his presence, but he's still in the back seat. Yeah, it's small talk, a little chat here and there. Yeah, or maybe he's in the front seat, you know, maybe he's in the front seat and, the, and, and you do have regular conversations with him, um, you consult with him, he's a mentor, an advisor, you know, maybe he's in the front seat, but the question is, is he driving? Mm-hmm. Is he driving? Because you see, when Jesus is our Lord and our Savior, he is driving the car. And that's what we ultimately want. So where we want to spend the remainder of our time today is we want to look at what does it look like when Jesus is driving? What does it look like? And how do we get there? How do we we tangibly begin to understand that concept and how it applies to our life? And the first step of that is we throw him the keys. We throw him the keys, and this is actually that act of surrender that, that I finally did on Easter. Now, up to that point, I wouldn't have ever been able to admit or even identify that I had not surrendered to the Lord, but really I hadn't. It was all performance-based, and it was all driven by, by shame and by these lies, but so we throw in the keys, but then also we throw in the spare key because our tendency in our nature is to want to take back the steering wheel from the Lord and say, you know what, God, go back over the passenger seat. I got this. I'm driving. I'll get us there. 
You know, one of the most powerful things that happened on that Easter Sunday is, um, you know, uh, I shared with you that piece of paper, and it was, you know, he had the, the, uh, this piece of paper, and he had the fence, and he said, you know, this is, he actually said, this is your yard, this is my yard, I don't want you in my yard, I don't want you in mine, you know, I, 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 wanna, I just want the, a clean break. And, um, but on the other side of that paper was a physical list of everything wrong with me and everything wrong with our marriage, and everything wrong with life. And that list, in that moment of surrender, uh, Mark heard the Lord speak to him about that list. And when we were in that conversation, and Jill had, had communicated that prayer about, from Christ, it was in that moment that, uh, that I heard the Lord speak to me, if you'll trust me with the list, I'll take care of it. And I... Uh, it's, it's rather embarrassing today, but uh, I did. I, ca- I had a detailed list of what's wrong with us and of the church and of God. I was just driven by all of this condemnation, and it just, uh, I was worn out by it. But after we went to church that day, he said, can we come home? Can I come home and have lunch with you guys? I said, sure. And... Um, after lunch, do you care if I stay the afternoon? And I said, sure. You know, and I'm trying to figure out what is going on here, you know. And um, by that evening, he stayed through until the evening. And he said to me, as, as he and I were sitting, um, watching the boys play basketball that night, he said, I can't even remember what was on the list. Mm-hmm. I, 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 can, I, can, I could probably tell you the words on it, but they hold no power over me anymore. Right. That's the power of surrender. That's the power of throwing God the keys and saying, I've made a mess and I need you to drive. So oftentimes with surrender, the question is, and the reason that we struggle with surrender is because of control. Because we're trying to control situations. We're trying to control outcomes. And so surrender is what happens when you stop trying to control and you move from controlling to actually yielding, following instead of forcing. I realized uh, that day in surrender, uh, you know, and to hear us go to church and it could we could very easily uh, move to, well, it was a happy ever after story. Jill and I both were scared to death that day. I was actually scared to death. Did I really trust God? Did I really trust him to get me to where he wanted me? See, I had lived my whole life a self-made man. I raised up in a family that you can do anything you put your heart to. You can do anything you want. And that was not happening. What I was doing was making a mess. And did I trust God to lead out of that, to drive out of that mess? And I realized that I had to trust God. He was all I had, and I was relieved. I also realized in that act of surrender that, that I really, uh, I had to recognize that I didn't know God. I had filtered God through the two men who were supposed to have been my dad that were both messes themselves, that I had to 
wipe their face off of the face of God. I saw, I saw God as, as a passive drunk. That was my dad. I saw God as a violent, uh, abusive man. That was my stepdad. And I was trying to perform to maybe make God happy with me. And I realized in surrender that there was nothing Mark Savage could do. Jesus Christ did it already. Mm-hmm. And I remember one of the things that was so powerful for you was you surrendered the need to know and understand. Right. That was so huge um, because there was such a, that was part of the, the disillusionment with God is right. I don't understand you and I don't under, and I want to know. And you really surrendered the need to do that. That was so powerful. Yeah. I had my own surrender moments in um, that dark journey as well. Um, one of them was um, a day that a dear friend of mine spoke truth to me. She said to me, Jill, don't make saving your marriage an idol. Right now, I think that that's what's on the throne, and that's what you're worshiping. She was right. And that day, I was convicted in a healthy way, and I realized that I was trying to control for success. And I needed to move from holding on like so tight onto my marriage, like my knuckles were white, to opening my hands up and saying, Lord, I trust you. I trust that you are pursuing Mark. I trust that you are at work. I, I don't know if he'll respond to you, but I can't control that. So I need you to just show me what you want me to do. And that day, as it related to my marriage, I threw my keys to God and said, I, I am responsible for me and me only. So please show me what to do. And then God did. And that's the second part of how we let Jesus drive. And that is that we need to read the owner's manual. We need to read the owner's manual. So just like in a car, the car has got, and I'll tell you what, every time the time changes, I've got to go to my owner's manual because I cannot remember how to change my clock. You know? <laughs> Got to pull that owner's manual out to figure that out. And that's what the Bible is. It's the owner's manual for us. Mm -hmm. Shortly after uh, the the affair was revealed, and at that time, Mark was extremely hard-hearted. When I I confronted him that I had discovered it, he was um, extremely hard-hearted. He said, yes, absolutely, I am. I'm having an affair, and I'm not stopping. And it was, I had never seen his heart in such a hard place. And um, the next day, I was flat on my face, begging God to tell me what to do. God, I have no idea. I don't know what to do. Do I stay? Do I go? Does he stay? Does he go? Uh, How do I respond to this? What boundaries do I set? What do I do? I have no idea what to do. And in that moment, I heard God speak to me. Oh, it wasn't an audible voice, but it was a thought that came in my head that I knew was not mine because this is what it was. I want you to love him. I want you to love him. (laughs) Are you kidding me? 
And I remember, I mean, literally, I had been on the ground. I had been crying. And I got up and I looked up at heaven and I was like, you have to be kidding me. Because I don't know if you've noticed, but he's not real lovable right now. Mm. And God whispered back to my heart, I don't know if you've noticed, but sometimes you aren't either. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Lord, you love me when I'm unlovable. I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to do that. Would you show me how to do that? And eventually he took me to Romans 12. And if you have your Bibles, go to Romans 12. If you don't have your Bibles, that's fine. I'll read it to you. Romans 12, starting in verse 9 through 21. Romans 12, 9 through 21. Let love be genuine. A little bit further down. Outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor. It doesn't say if someone is behaving themselves, you can honor them. It doesn't say that. It says outdo one another showing honor. Verse 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Be patient in tribulation? Really, God? Hmm. And then, 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. These are my marching orders, God? This is what you want me to do? Do not be haughty. It's verse 16. 17, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Oh, there's that honor word again. Wow. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil evil with good. And I remember the first time I read it, I went, that's how I do that? That's how I love someone who's not loving me back? God, that goes against everything I feel right now. And that's usually what happens when Jesus drives. Mm. He asks us to do things that make no sense in the world's economy. No sense at all. If you turn to Luke chapter 6, verse 32, you know, in, in the world we listen, or we listen to uh, three messages that are not from the Lord. We listen to ourselves. That's what I was doing. We listen to the world's messages, and ultimately we can listen to the evil messages. But, but the Lord is saying, listen to me. And in in chapter 6, verse 32, he says, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that from you? Even sinners love those who love them. And then in verse 35, it says, but love your enemies, love those who aren't behaving themselves, love those who uh, are ticking you off. 
but love your enemies, do good and, and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. Your sons, uh, you, and you will be sons and daughters of the Most High. And I, I think of how God's, God's word, God's direction, God's drive in our life is so different from what our flesh craves, from what we want to do. Well, and everything that he asks us to do is so upside down. He says, the first will be last. And then he says, if you want to make an impact, then be a servant. Wash people's feet. Serve them. He says, if somebody, if somebody throws an insult to you, turn the other cheek. Offer him the other cheek. And then what Mark just read there, he said, you know, whoever will save his life will lose it. I mean, so everything is so upside down with God. And that's part of the reason that we struggle throwing him the keys because it's so, it's so different than what we feel like doing. But we need to be driven by God's word, not by our emotions. Mm-hmm. That's what it looks like to let Jesus drive. And I'll tell you what, that um, place in Romans 12 there at the end, it says, um, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. And I shared that with Mark about, an, about a, um, probably a month after mm-hmm. he came home. And I shared it with him. And She uh, read that verse, and I was like, that is what you did. And I said, what did I do? You heap burning coals on my head. And I said, what do you mean? I don't even know what that part of the verse means. <laughs> And he said, you treated me better than I deserve to be treated. Yeah. And I knew that. And it impacted my heart. It softened my heart. That's also God's economy. You see, he works from the inside out, not the outside in. When we're driving, we're trying to work from the outside in, but he's working from the inside out. So he asks us to do things that are upside down in this world. Because he wants the way that we treat others to be something that they don't expect. And then it works on their heart from the inside Mm -hmm. out. It's so very powerful. I remember this was while we were still, Mark had not made his U-turn. He, um, I had been living this out for probably six months at this point. Um, We were separated but we were interacting one day, and I said to him, or he said to me, I don't get you. I don't get you. I don't understand how you have treated me so kindly when I've treated you so poorly. And I did not do it perfectly, let me tell you. There were several times where I lost it or I was angry. But in general, my care, I was becoming characterized by Romans 12 in general. And I, I thought about that for a moment. I said, I don't, you know, I thought to myself, I don't even know how to respond to that. And finally I said to him, Mark, it's unhumanable. And he goes, unhumanable? What does that mean? And I said, I don't know. That, I, that word just came out of my mouth. I don't even know what that means. And then I got to thinking about it. I was like, it is unhumanable. Because it's when we're not operating in our human strength. We are operating in God's strength. Mm-hmm. And, and we can't do those things without him. We can't do that upside-down stuff. We can't love someone who's being unloving to us. 
without God. And I came home and I wrote in my Bible, in fact, it's in red marker. You probably can't even see it from where you are, but right, right here, I wrote it that very night in my Bible. It says, key to unhumanable love, right hmm. there. And I still see that. And, you know, sometimes, I, I mean, I, I don't nearly need it for marriage, but I've needed it for other people in my life. I'm guessing you need it for someone. There's someone in your life that's not being very loving right now, and you need to be able to read the owner's manual to get your marching orders, to know how to let Jesus drive the car as it relates to that relationship. You know, another place that God um, gives us a call is forgiveness. You read God's word, he has a lot to say about forgiveness, a lot. Forgive, forgive, forgive as you have been forgiven. I was talking with a woman the other day, and she's going through a hard time in her marriage. And she says, well, what if I'm not ready to forgive? What if I don't feel like forgiving? And I said, well, let's, let's explore that. And so we started looking up all kinds of verses. And I said, you know, after we looked up, I don't know, five or ten of them, I said, did any of those say forgive when you feel like forgiving? Mm-hmm. I didn't see that. Did any of those say, uh, forgive when you feel ready? I didn't see that either. I saw forgive. Mm -hmm. Now, forgiveness and rebuilding trust, two different things. Okay, it didn't say if you forgive, you will have to trust that person. No, it didn't say that at all. But it said, get your heart cleaned up. Forgive. That's what it looks like. When we read the owner's manual, and then we apply it to real life. So when the Lord is driving our life, we're throwing in the keys and the spare keys. We're reading the owner's manual, but then we're also staying in our seat. Our nature is that we want to take back control. And God is saying, well, I'll give you the car back, but dang, Mark, do you remember the mess that you were in? So we want to stay in our seat and trust him and build faith. We want to grow in our understanding of who he is and who we are in relationship to him. Yeah. So let's turn to Romans 8. Romans 8. In Romans 8, 5, it says this, for those who live according to the flesh, to our nature, to what we think, to what we want, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. I'm going to read that again. To set our mind on the flesh is death, but to set our mind in the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. They don't want to let God drive. For it does not submit to God's laws or his ways. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but you are in the spirit. Yeah. So what we have to recognize is there are all kinds of what we call whys in the road. Okay? We're coming along and something happens. A circumstance happens that we have to handle. A conversation happens that we get the opportunity to enter into. And the question becomes, which way are we going to go? Flesh or spirit? Which way are we going to go? 
our way or God's way. Mm-hmm. And right here at this Y in the road, there's a little stop sign. There's a little stop sign right there. And that's the stop where we consider our options. But unfortunately, there's a lot of ruts in our life and we blow that stop sign a lot. Mm. Our spouse says something to us and then we say something snarky back. Okay, we just blew the stop sign. We had an opportunity there to operate in the spirit, not the flesh, but we blew the stop sign. Right? Maybe it's a, a coworker. I mean, honestly, guys, a lot of times where there's flesh and spirit, a lot of it has to do with our mouth. Uh, our mouth gets us in a lot more trouble than what we realize. We feel like, you know, I, I, I'm, it's okay. I mean, you, you were doing a certain thing. It's okay for me to, to tell you what I think. And yet, when we go back to Romans 12, God says, um, vengeance is mine. I will repay. Don't, don't try to fix it. I, I got this. Mm-hmm. Turn the other cheek. Use your words wisely. So we want to recognize those whys in the road. I mean, quite frankly, if you're here with someone else and you're going to go home, uh, probably between leaving here and lunchtime, you will have had an opportunity for 10 whys in the road. 10 ways that you can do things your way or you can do things God's way. It might be somebody cuts you off in traffic as you drive home. And there are words that might want to come out of your mouth. You might want to give them a piece of your mind. Even though they can't hear you, you might want to do that in the car. It's like, wait a minute. How do I handle this God's way instead of my way? Yeah. Maybe it's trust. Maybe it's trusting that he will be there for you. We had an interesting scenario where we had the opportunity to trust God and being the provider uh, in a way that I could have never imagined. I was uh, pastoring at a church, and then I transitioned from that role as, as a pastor there, and I helped launch a counseling ministry in our local community. And I, after I transitioned to uh, help be a part of this launch team, uh, I realized or I learned that there was one donor that was really supplying all the, all the funds and the salaries uh, for the staff and for the facilities. Well, that was uh, a concern for me because if, if something happens to that individual's finances, we're in trouble. Well, it wasn't very long after that. Something happened to this guy's finances he bought a bank, like everybody does that. He bought a bank, and it uh, held captive his money for three months. So uh, they met with me and said, Mark, we can't pay you for three months. If you uh, need to go find another job, we understand, but we really we want you to stay, and we'll back pay you, but we just can't pay you for three months. And I was like, wow, this interesting. I know. <laughs> so, so Mark I, comes home that night and he goes, um, Hey, we got something we got to pray about. And I said, okay. And he said, you know, this is the conversation we had today. And I, um, I, do we stay, do, do I stay in this job and, and let them back pay me or, um, do I need to find something else? And so we prayed mm-hmm. and we felt like God was saying, stay put. Didn't make any sense but stay put. Yeah. Now, let me tell you, we were Dave Ramsey flunkies. 
We right. did not have three months worth of income in the bank. No. Okay. We didn't. I mean, I think we had maybe $500 in the bank. It was a ridiculously low amount. It was not good. Our kids were scared to death. They were just sure that we were going to be sleeping in our, our van. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, I uh, immediately after we made that decision, I, uh, I paid most of the bills. And so I got on the phone and I was like seeing if we could lower some payments. And some companies let me do that. And, and so we were able to do that. And I went through the pantry and I went through the freezer and I wrote everything down food-wise that we had in our house. And so I announced to Mark the day after. I was like, hey, I think... I think we're going to be okay. I think we'll be okay. Um, I taught piano lessons at the time, so I had piano and voice students, so we still had some income coming in for that kind of stuff. And so I was like, you know what? Um, if you guys, I, I told Mark and the kids, if you guys promise not to ask me what dinner is, because it's going to be quite mm-hmm. creative. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to be okay, but the only thing we're going to need is bread and milk. Like, I don't have the ability, you know, we don't have the finances to go to the grocery store. So we're not going to have to go to the grocery store because we've got canned vegetables and canned fruits and that kind of thing frozen. But we just need bread and milk. That's all. So every night we would sit down at the dinner table and we would hold hands and we would say, Lord, thank you for this creative food in front of us. Right. Lord, all we need is bread and milk. All we need is bread and milk. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, I know how God's going to handle this. I would sometimes get asked to play the organ for weddings or to sing. Uh, I'd be a soloist at a wedding. God is going to, uh, you know, he's going to provide a job and people are going to pay me 50 bucks or 100 bucks and I can go to the bank or I can go to the grocery store. Or occasionally Mark laid carpet. He did that in his pre-ministry life. So he had all these carpet tools and people would say, hey, I need a bedroom of carpet laid. Would you come do that? And they'd pay him 50 bucks or 100 bucks. Okay, that's what's going to happen. You know, how many times do we tell God how it's going to work? You know, usually that's when he's in the passenger seat or even the back seat. Or the trunk. Yeah. Yeah. And the whole time, here's what happens is we're going, God, why don't you answer my prayer? Why don't you answer my prayer? And we keep looking over here for him to answer the prayer. But he's over here going, hey, hey, the blessing's over here. It's over here. And we miss it because we keep looking for it to be answered this way. Well, that's what was happening for me. And God wasn't answering. And I was like, really? So we're three weeks in and I've got no jobs and he's got no extra jobs. And all of a sudden I get a phone call. It's our neighbor. Now you have to understand we live in the country and our neighbor has a quarter mile long lane to his house. We don't see them very often at all. I mean, he he, uh, does all the fields around us. He plants and and harvests the fields around us. So, you know, we usually wave at Orville when he's in his tractor, and that's about it. So Orville called me, and I thought, well, that's odd. Orville never calls me. And he says, hey, Jill, and Orville just, he's a straight shooter, gets down to business. Hey, Jill, this is Orville. Hey, I got a question for you today. I said, okay. He said, do you guys need any bread? Um, yeah, 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 Orville, we do, we do need bread. Oh, okay, okay, well, I got some, uh, I'm, I'm, if you're home, I'm just going to come by there, and, uh, and, and I'll let you, you know, I'll give you some. I said, okay. So 10 minutes later, I see his truck pull in my driveway, and he's driving down our kind of long driveway, and he comes up towards the house, 
And I'm looking, and I'm like, what is in the back of his truck? Because it's piled with bread. His pickup truck is piled with bread. I walk out, and I'm like, Orville, Orville, um, <clears throat> excuse me, what, what happened here? Like, did you rob a bread store or something? <laughs> like, I don't understand this. He says, oh, no, no, no. He says, I have a contract with the grocery stores. I have to take their bread that has expired. I bring it home. I feed it to my cows. He says, now, my cows can't eat all that bread. And so Betty and I, we always go through it. We pick out what we want. And then we throw that in the freezer. And then, you know, I feed the rest to the cows. And I was like, oh, my goodness. I said, Orville, do you know what's going on in our life? And I'm thinking, there's no way he does. Very few people knew what was going on. We didn't run in the same circles. We didn't go to the same church, nothing. And, I, and he said, I don't know what you're talking about. And I said, well, Mark's job, you know, they can't pay him for three months, and so they're going to back pay us, and so right now we have no major income. And, and so the only thing we've been praying for is bread and milk. And he says, you need milk? <laughs> And he opens up the cab of his truck, and there's 12 gallons of milk in there. Yep. He says, now, now my cows, they don't drink the milk. Uh, it's just in my contract. I have to take it away. <laughs> right. He says, but, you know, Betty and I, we always save at least a gallon for ourselves, and then I just pour the rest out. And he says, today I was driving down the road after I finished my grocery store run, and I was like, them savages have a bunch of kids. I wonder if they could use some of this. Mm-hmm. And by this time, I'm, I'm crying. I mean, I'm a mess. He's like, oh, don't get sappy on me. <laughs> I'm going to carry this milk in your house and you just get in there in the back of that truck and you just get all the bread that you want. And I literally, I mean, there was English muffins, rainbow bread. Okay, guys, we bought only Aldi bread. At that time was like 69 cents a loaf or something like that. This was brownberry bread. This was the expensive stuff. Mm -hmm. Every kind of bread you can imagine. And I I'm not just picking through it. I'm walking on it and picking through it. Only God. Mm -hmm. Only God's economy can do that. Only God can connect the dots Mm -hmm. in ways that we can't even imagine. And that's what happens when we let him do the driving. You see, when God's in the driver's seat, you are often doing things that make no sense. But... Faith is having the courage to let God be in control. In Proverbs, Proverbs 3, verse 5, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. I would say for today, trust in the Lord with all your heart and throw God the keys. Stop trying to drive the car. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. And that's our prayer for us today. Yeah, let's pray. Father, help us, help each one of us to throw you the keys, God. Mm-hmm. To trust you, to surrender to you, to, uh, to really uh, stop fighting. Yes. Father, I pray that, you're, uh, that as we throw you the keys, you'll bring peace and calm and direction upon our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. You've been listening to a message that Mark and I had the privilege of sharing at uh, the church next door in Columbus, Ohio. And if your church is interested in a Mother's Day speaker, if they're interested in a marriage seminar, or just having Mark and I come and speak on a Sunday morning, we'd love to join you. Uh, You can find all of our information at markandjill.org and just click on speaking. Thanks for joining me today on the No More Perfect Podcast. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe and follow so you don't miss any future conversations. You can find the show notes and links to anything we talked about over on jillsavage.org slash podcast. I hang out on Facebook and Instagram and would love to connect with you there. You can find me under the name jillsavage.author. One more thing, we have three free ebooks that we'd love to give you. You can find them at jillsavage.org slash free. See you next week where we'll have another conversation about the real stuff of life and relationships.